From multiple entropic locations in Minneapolis or near enough, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Ellen Burns-Johnson, and I make nice games. I'm Stephen McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Martha Croy, and I too make nice games. For this week's episode, your nice host emeritus, Martha, is back again to chat with us about 4X games and actionable gamification. And so, if everyone's ready, let's start. What's up, Martha? And I'm Martha McGarry, and I make nice games. <laughs> oh, wait. <She's> back. <laughs> you know what this means, you guys? We're going to have good transitions this time. Yes. <laughs> no pressure, Martha. Ah, yes. Good ones. I mean, the, yes. the, Martha, the bar you have to clear with us is not that high. So, yeah. <laughs> honestly. I mean, it's a guarantee they will be better. So. <laughs> Well, it's good to have you back here on the on the show again. And so Martha. soon since the last, it's been five episodes since we've seen you. It's been. Um, I'm I'm liking I'm liking this pace so far. We'll see. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Mm-hmm. What have you been up yeah. to since then? Um, cooking lots of vegetables. We've got a CSA, and so lots and lots of vegetables. Ah. It's been fun. What, did Did you say that that was like a surprise? Veg- <laughs> um, it's not really a surprise, but it was a present for my parents, mm. which is surprise oh. of them. Yeah. That's pretty cool. What's the weirdest vegetable you've had to prepare? We haven't really gotten any weird ones because we've only gotten a half share. So that's cut down Mm. on the amount of weird ones because you can only like we've had to have some of them because there's only like one pumpkin. So I got Ah. half and my brother got half. Ah. Um, uh, But it's what's been really cool is the CSA we've been going through has like sends a recipe with each box so you get mm. to we've been all making the recipes and then sending them sending pictures of them to each other Ooh. and it's been super motivating to actually cook things which is fun it's like That's doing cool. one of those meal kit things except without all of the waste that those yeah. have <laughs> all the plastic yeah yeah that's what i've been doing mostly that and waiting for the virus to be over <laughs> <laughs> yep. you went, yeah i mean like if you're gonna do a CSA though, sometimes that does take a little bit of planning and creative thinking around how to use the ingredients that you get. Mm-hmm. Um, might as well do that in a pandemic. What? Um, it's true. Do you mind sharing the name of the CSA that you're using? I think it's Foxtail Farms. Well, it sounds like you're pleased so far. We'll put that in the show notes so people can check it out. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, in other news, other news. Yes, I know. Shocking. <laughs> Um, there, y'all may have heard this, but Hyperdot was, um, uh, the game that my brother works on was announced for a game award. Well, nominated for it. So I, at this, I guess at this point, this episode will be out by the time the game awards will have happened. So, uh, congrats, Charles, or you'll get them next time, slugger. Uh, <laughs> 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 yeah, he was, he, he was nominated for innovation and accessibility. Um, and, um, it's got a lot of accessibility things baked in and like yeah. they, they mm-hmm. did a lot of work to like um not just like make it accessible but like also um introduce it to um yeah it's not just the game design itself um mm-hmm. it's the 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 work that was put in to engage with that community of of streamers um right. and and mm-hmm. uh, not even just as a promotional effort although there was something to that it's also in terms of like getting their feedback and incorporating that directly into the game and like even to the things that you can't know yourself as you work on it 
uh, especially as like, yeah. you know, uh, Charles doing it all himself, like being able to, to get that help and be able to, uh, at that part of the development process. And to me, and I don't know what the criteria was for nomination, but to me, that's the innovation. And that's something I think a lot of people can learn from. Um, so, uh, whether he did win it or not, um, I think, uh, people should, uh, definitely take a look at that as an example in their own work on how to, yeah. especially at an indie level. Cause it's the only indie in that category. Um, yeah, yeah, on it, like, that's what's, like, the most ridiculously amazing thing about this is that, like, Hyperdot is right next to um, The Last of Us Part 2 yeah. in an yeah. award <laughs> category. Like, a game made from people in Minnesota, literally my brother, uh, in this award. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, yeah. It's a pretty um, big deal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. you know, smidge. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> so, um, you've watched them. Uh, congrats. Congratulate Charles on his nomination at the very least, or his winnings if he got it. I, again, I can't tell you because we're recording this before in the, the past. <laughs> in the past. <laughs> well, we got a lot to get to, so why don't we get to it? Yeah, let's do it. We got um, it. We have lots of topics to explore. Ah, Ooh, ah, there it see, is. Transitions. There we go. <laughs> There's that old magic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, Martha and I are sharing this topic. We um, chose the topic of 4X games. Yes. Which, um, yes. And they, they, I guess the X's stand for explore, expand, exploit, exterminate. I did not know this before <laughs> this recording. So, <laughs> makes it sound much more know, hardcore than what it is, which is just idly really clicking for 12 hours. Yeah, <laughs> honestly, it really does. Um, and um, like we, I, I think we picked this topic because like we've been playing uh, Civilization recently here in in the clubhouse, and um, I mean Martha is much more experienced in forex games than I am, so we wanted to get her insights into this. Yeah, and yeah, it's just been really fun playing with all of you. Um, like we had a long going campaign going for a while where mm -hmm. we just played the same one. Which is, you know, rare for me because I usually do the first couple turns yeah. and then, you know, I'm like, oh, yeah. well, I explored the map and we're done. Um, <laughs> you just like the first X. Just the one, one yes. X game, yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, um, I, I find it interesting that I'm into these games and by into these games i mean really into these games like, like you've well, like been obsessed yeah, <laughs> a, little bit, um, a little bit <laughs> might be a problem i uh, may have stayed up uh till six o'clock in the morning playing civ six um <laughs> who are you mark this, <laughs> this, this may have happened more than once might have been a few days uh, so, so yeah it's, it's a problem so I, what i want to ask y'all is or an intervention in or <laughs> <laughs> why, yeah, why am actually, I in this Steven, game? I don't understand. Please help make it stop. <laughs> <laughs> if I can understand why, maybe I can stop it. <laughs> well, I will say I, I think, I'm not okay. terribly surprised. I mean, this might just hmm. be that you didn't have a lot of experience with this, but like, you know, I think listeners may recognize your love of spreadsheets and balancing in games. And like uh, not just as a player, but as a developer, you really like that stuff. And mm -hmm. so I am not that surprised because I think of 4X games are, there's so many interconnected mechanics and so much opportunity for, for balance and for the, those, those relationships between those pieces that I, yeah. it doesn't surprise me that much. I mean, it's not that much different from like a, like, you know, like a MOBA or an RTS or even a fighting game um, mm -hmm. in that respect. 
that's that's true. Yeah, there's a lot of optimization that like goes into like getting better at those these games that I think I enjoy. Yeah, yeah, um, a lot. Hmm. Or a game you and can practice, lot. right? Is that yeah. that kind of yeah. drills it down? Yeah, yeah, I, I like those kinds of games. Mm-hmm. And there's all the different characters you can play, like change how you play the game and what strategy you're doing. It sounds like when you talk about the different characters in Civ, it sounds like you're talking about like, you know, Sparky and yeah, and <laughs> like, oh, oh and with, yeah, yeah, with this character, you want to employ this strategy, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true, and I I love that kind of stuff because I I like the idea of like characterizing some thing in a game through the mechanics um um and like their balance work um and also uh kirby's not in civilization so you get to play other characters (laughs) (laughs) not as of this release date you know (laughs) right right that's new dlc (laughs) i mean the game has vampires it could have kirby if it wants yeah the nintendo civilization (laughs) i mean Seriously, they could do it they could, if they honestly. wanted. Yeah, man, I would love like exactly. the Mushroom Kingdom as a civilization. Like, Whoa. oh my god, can you imagine the city design? Yeah, or even like, like, oh. like what the Elder Scrolls, like Tamriel or whatever. Like, just any of yeah. these video game worlds. I mean, like the Smash Brothers of Civ. Like, yep, somebody uh-huh. get on it. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness, that's amazing. Now, now I want to play Civ again. <laughs> Only if it's mushrooms. Yeah. Only if it's mushrooms. Well, I've been playing Endless Legend because it was on sale and I got it um, just to see what it's like versus Civ. Um, and it, they're one of the um, factions is a mushroom, um, mushroom kingdom actually, oh. and they like there's all these resources on the map and. They can steal other people's resources just by growing mushrooms on top of it. Oh, wow. <laughs> <That's cool. laughs> it's kind great. of amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that's so cool. Um, yeah, I mean, well, that's that's that that um, transitions into like the differences between like all these different 4X games. I think, I mean, obviously, the 4X games have the explore, expand, exploit, exterminate thing that I just found out about today. Um, <laughs> so. That is, that's what is similar about them. But I think that like there's a lot of differences between all of these um, 4X games. Like I played a lot of Civ 6, but I've also played Anno 1800, which is a uh, which is a 4X game, but it's not like turn based. Hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. um, and that and like, I mean, I guess that's like a large difference with it. But like also just like the way it plays and feels is different. I think there's a lot less of. Uh, exploiting and ex- exploring, honestly, in mm-hmm. that in that game versus uh, other ones. And like, if you play it with other people, it's a multiplayer game too. Um, you, you don't really have to fight each other, so um, mm. that uh, makes it light. It makes it kind of nice. Like you kind of just like build your own um, your own civilization mm-hmm. in Anno eighteen hundred instead of. Isn't that game a little That's bit more nice. zoomed in? Like you're dealing with like buildings and people a little bit more. It's not quite SimCity level. Yeah, somewhere in yeah, between, is. is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You you focus more on yeah. You want to make sure your citizens are happy enough to produce money, <laughs> um, <laughs> but you also like you also want to make sure that your city your city is growing. Um, and mm-hmm. like you can settle different places on like different islands because like they'll have different um, resources that you can use to benefit your people. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but it, it but it's le- it's a lot yeah it's a lot more inside than like civilization where you're not taking. Um, turns over millennia of uh, years. 
it's just uh you just like you only are in the 1800s yeah so. interesting and then martha you you put on this list here stellaris is another game that is yeah i haven't played it but my boyfriend dylan has played it extensively um with the same problem that you have Stephen where he sometimes <laughs> stays up all night playing it. It's so um, easy. Yeah. Well, just one more turn. Like that's I think I yeah. think they should add another thing to this is like explore, expand, exploit, exterminate. I, I don't know how to put ex in front of uh, one more turn, but one more turn. Yeah. <laughs> Exhaust. Yes, there we go. <laughs> that's very good. <laughs> you know they've been using that as part of their like uh like civ 6 like leans into that as part of their like promotional campaign too when you win the mm -hmm. game you can you can quit or there's a button to say one more turn you can keep playing after you win and part yep. of me is like i don't know maybe that's a problem like maybe it's not <laughs> maybe you could design <laughs> not something like, you <laughs> around that instead of like <laughs> instead of just like joyously put it in your ad campaign i don't know there's, they did a um, whole thing like Sid Meier was even in a commercial where he played uh, he, it was like he played a person who played Civ like you didn't know it was him. And it was yeah. like it was like at a, at a um, like a like a Alcoholics Anonymous like meeting where everyone was <laughs> oh, and there oh, were posters boy. on the wall about like various memes from Civil. <laughs> I think it was like for Civ 4 or 5. And I, yeah. I saw this ad on YouTube and I was just like, this isn't good. Like, <laughs> it's not a good comparison <laughs> to make like this. Uh, I, I would identify with that yeah. commercial, though, I think. Um, it's like, hi, I'm whoever, kinda... and I'm, you know, it's just yeah. like, I, <laughs> Hi, my know. name is Stephen McGregor, and I have a problem. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, um, um, hi, Stephen. <laughs> 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 one thing that's cool about Anno 1800 is, like, I mean, this isn't a huge effort into this, but, like, if you've been playing for two hours, they'll be like, oh, you've been playing for two hours. Would you like to take a break? Um, they'll just it'll just be like a voice thing that says you've been playing for a long time. Yeah. And like, I'll be like, shut up. I'm trying to play this game. <laughs> but <laughs> Are you still watching? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, actually, it's exactly like Netflix. <laughs> um, but like, I mean, they put in some effort, I guess. At least it's not as endorsing as keep playing this game forever and never stop. Yeah. <laughs> it is um, One thing I, in, uh, I enjoy about Civ 6 is that they have added the real time clock in the upper right hand corner yes. <laughs> which is super helpful yeah because you can look up and be like oh my god it's six o'clock oh my god <laughs> yep well when we were playing uh, every week um it was on a schedule so like it was hard for us to you know because we all were keeping each other in check but at the same time we like we're like oh i gotta go at four today and then like 4 30 <laughs> would roll around and it'd be like okay just a couple more turns like it'd be <laughs> yeah we, we all like three hours in we we're all like oh wow it's getting kind of late or whatever and then like six hours in we're like okay it's way past when we should have quit for today <laughs> let's yep. just play for another 20 minutes like <laughs> <laughs> yep that, that's something it was like a group delusion too because any one person mm -hmm. could have snapped us out of it but nope yeah <laughs> <laughs> one did. well one thing that has like civ has added in is like camp like little um, challenges or campaigns. Mark, you played one of those or scenarios. That's what scenarios. I I played the Alexander the Great one, and I really liked it because I don't. We didn't when we were playing anyway. Uh, it's the most I've played Civ in my life. Right? Is mm -hmm. um, since Civilization two anyway. And so um, uh, there weren't a lot of the games we played together 
that we did a lot of combat between each other. We, we didn't we didn't have the stomach for it at first. Yeah. And so Well, except for when you mercilessly attacked Steven. Yes. He, Thank you. He was going to settle in my territory and he pre-announced I, his uh, intention to kill us all. He's like, "This time I'm going to murder every one of you." And I'm like, "All right, Steven." And he got too close. And but I had to, I had to take his settle. <laughs> oh, we're not doing this again. Okay. So, <laughs> How's bringing How's conflict into the clubhouse? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I forgot what I was saying. Now <laughs> you were you were talking about the Alexander the Great campaign. Oh yes, so I really like yeah. that because it's like um, you can't like you have no production um, outside of you can only build units and okay. and your goal is to conquer all the cities on the map and it's like thirty cities and thirty turns. It's like really aggressive um, mm. and. At first, you don't know how you're going to do it. And then in the middle, you feel like you got a good pace. And then there's like two cities left and they're like 40 tiles away and you have oh. 15 turns and you're like, oh, I don't know if I can. And then you fail. But like it, they're, <laughs> they're hard, but they're very fun. And like I that's the only that's the only scenario I've played because the at least I haven't gotten all, all the DLC. And so there aren't actually that many. But I feel like this is a game that yeah. could have dozens of these scenarios and could be because I really like the idea. It still took me four hours, but like I like the idea of like an end that isn't explicitly the whatever endings, the, the multiple, the, the, it has like a the definitive, I know when it's going to end. Um, right. And, and that was a lot of fun. And, and, and because it, it had so few of the rules, it was just easier to play. There were less choices to make. And I knew I had a better sense of like when I was doing well or not. So it was like, it was much more casual of an experience, which was something I sort of needed after like I was so in depth into all of the mechanics and all of the, and also having with my game designer hat on, which I can't remove, like just spinning <laughs> out and thinking about it all the time. And mm-hmm. then just to have something that's just like conquer these cities. You have this long go. It's like, great. I'll, yeah. I'll take it. I, I wish there'd be more of that with like a, a tech tree focused one or a diplomacy focused one. I would love more of them. And there just aren't that many right now. I don't think. Yeah. Hmm. I haven't looked into this at all, but there might be some mods that are campaigns that you could like. Use I, I bet that's true. Play. Yeah. There's probably a whole universe of options that I, I don't have in front of me. But then you gotta like find them. They're not in the game. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Here's a a game with bazillion, bazillion choices. And also, here are some more choices you can put on top of it. Yep. Yeah. It it doesn't stop. That's, that's part of the problem. And I think, I mean, like, that's, I think that's part of the draw too, is that like there's all these different choices you can make. And like the way that the game expands um, as you play like a a, a session of it is like, it's, it's like you make one decision where you, where are you gonna sell your first city? Uh, and then it's like, oh, what units are you going to build? And then it's like, where are you going to move all your units? And then what are you going to build in this next city that you just built? And then it, and then it, it expands into a ridiculous amount of choices and stuff. But mm. after a certain point, you know, you, you've kind of already made your bed. And now you just got to lay in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when I stop the game and turn make a new one <laughs> because I've, I've 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 caught that restart itis too sometimes because <laughs> like honestly like the first 150 turns of civ is more fun than the last parts of it yeah mm-hmm. like you, a lot of the decisions you make are important and will affect like the later game stuff whereas like once you get past a certain point at least i, I tend to play it single player once you get past certain points the ai um you've caught up to the ai and so now you're just kind of like playing the game until you pick or until you get whatever victory condition you were going for. Yeah. Um, so. Or you are losing to the AI and there's no way you can <laughs> ever too, come yeah. back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, right, right. <laughs> yeah. I think it's interesting with Civ, each each um, like DLC and 
new rules that they add in with each mm-hmm. new version um, kind of change how it, how it, everything goes and what strategies become more viable. Like I've been trying to do science the past couple games, and like if you don't f- also focus on religion, like religion was just will overtake you without you even knowing, and you can't yeah. come back once right. you've been mm-hmm. taken over. So. <laughs> And what's like, I think this is an issue with like all of these games. If you're trying to play them competitively, um, there's a certain point where you can't really come back or yeah. at least feels like mm-hmm. it. And so um, the next 50 turns or 100 turns or whatever until somebody wins or, or they feel like a drag because you're like, well, I'm, it doesn't really matter what I do. I'm not going to win. Mm-hmm. Um, That's interesting. Uh, it's like if you were a good enough player, skilled enough player to not like if you were a skilled enough player to be able to pull yourself out of that hole, then you would have been a skilled enough player to not get yourself in the hole in the first place. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, it's the same kind of issue, though, Ellen, because like when you if you get to that point, then you, you know, you are you basically have won at 150 turns or whatever. Um, and so now you just like, hmm. take the next 200 turns playing the game and it doesn't matter a ton what you do because you're already in uh, you're already moving towards your victory condition and no one can stop you. Really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it has the same issue both ways. The the mid game is the where it drags, right? Because mm-hmm. I mean, what's interesting is like, yeah, you, if you're going for science, which is where the most wins I've had as single player has been science. Um, it, like it takes it does a lot. You have to build all the space projects at the end of the tech tree, and it takes yeah. a long time because you have to you have to be able to uh, get the tech to do it, and then actually need the production to do it. But yeah. it fe- because it's such a, a, a specific goal and it's very single minded, it doesn't feel like a slog. But when I mm-hmm. need to like build like a wonder and then another wonder, it'll take half as many turns, but it feels like a longer slog in the mid game. And I mm-hmm. think that's like a weird problem that games like this have, which is which is all the things you guys were just talking about really lean into is this like idea of like if you if you're if you're behind in the mid game, then it, it's boring because you can't make it. But like you're, well, I'll complete it, whatever. I'll learn something for the next time or whatever. But it takes yeah. forever to lose. And if yeah. you're winning, it just takes forever to win. And I yeah. think that like all of the new DLC that added like the World Congress and the different eras. And like, I think a lot of that was an effort, I would suspect, to spice up the mid game. Uh, mm-hmm. Not, But the problem is, is anything with any game that requires a lot of balancing ultimately gets its edges sanded off a little bit because otherwise you have these wildly imbalanced playthroughs and it, and people have they 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 don't have fun most of the time and then some of the time they have a ton of fun and so yeah. it ends up being able to sand it down to where you have the average amount of fun most of the time and i think that's like a real problem with this genre like i would love for the mid game to be like a tenth as long but still a long time to build up your first four or five cities and still a long Sort of like I'm gonna win, and it still takes you a while to lay that last brick in the wall or whatever. Yeah. But it's the mid game where it's just like nothing new happens. Every time you try something on the step to the end, like like every time you get thwarted, it's it's more frustrating than fun. Um, but I don't yeah. I don't have an answer for that. I just think that I think yeah. that's the problem, and I think adding more stuff that happens feels like the attempt that Civ in particular is making. And I don't I think it just goes right into the pot and gets mixed in. I don't think it's mm. actually getting them any closer to solving the problem it sounds like one of the potential solutions is make your own rule that games only go to the 150th turn yeah you you can you You can can do that right you can go by points right um Mm -hmm. yeah and so yeah you can just the game could just end at a certain time 
Um, but then all your motivations are become different. It becomes a totally different game, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm sure there are mods for things like uh, you have like four times as much uh, um, science points or whatever, and so that that can move faster. But because everything yep. is everything is all uh, like hyper balanced, like yeah. are there mods that would make the game remain as balanced with all the different uh, components and different ways to win? If it's anything like Skyrim, probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I haven't really looked into mods in Civ because, like, when you try to play with mods on in multiplayer, then the uh, the game expects everybody to have the same mods. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. like, it, it it hasn't worked, so I haven't looked into it much. Mm-hmm. But there are some mods that I would like because, like, the UI in Civ is not great. It would be nice if I I could make it cleaner mm-hmm. and easier to parse at a glance. Yeah. You and you were just saying that you mostly play solo. Yeah. So that so the next time we have a good meta, we'll ask you for updates. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what Civ mods have you tried? Yeah. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> That's good. Yet um, another reason why you like this type of game because you can mod it. <laughs> yep. That's very true. Yeah. They're almost. I mean, Civ is on a bunch of consoles, but like it's it's mainly a PC focused kind of thing. So mm-hmm. yeah. And I speaking of bad UI. Form, yeah <laughs> on consoles it's worse yeah that's yeah. true um but like yeah most a lot of these forex games are on uh pc um yeah um one thing i i wanted to bring up my, martha you put in these notes here is that like a lot of these forex games are built around the idea of co- uh, colonialization of things um yeah. which you know it's, it's not good <laughs> but um i i i mean that's that is how they're built and that is like what the, the the developers are going for but i think that like civ has sort of tried to like move a little bit away from that in other games like you i'll bring up anno 1800 as an example because like i played this with a few friends and like we didn't really try to we weren't caught we didn't fight with anybody or anything like that we just like built our own cities and like when we needed stuff we'd be like hey do you have uh do you have enough uh, cattle so like we can make meat and that'll let you make spaghetti meatball sandwiches or whatever it is? I don't know. <laughs> That's a requirement or something for one of the, <laughs> the citizen types. I want a Philly cheesesteak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and so like we, yeah, I would like go to my friend and be like, hey, do you have some of this stuff? And then they would like send me a trade route and then like we would just uh, trade that back and forth and I'd give them something in return. Um, and so like we, we, it felt like we were being cooperative in that way like some people had built their cities um you know to be a lot bigger because they're better at these games than i am or or were at the time or whatever um but like it it felt like it was a cooperative thing and we weren't really doing the extermination part we weren't really exploiting i mean we were exploiting the land i suppose but we weren't we weren't really expanding and once we found everything we didn't really do a lot of exploring um so like eventually it, it just became like uh who who needs help growing their cities kind of mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. And that felt good. And the way Anno 1800 works is like, it is, it can be endless. As long as you don't get eliminated, you could kill on forever. So, um, you could just keep going back into it and, uh, getting your, making your city's citizens happy and stuff. And, and that feels good. Mm-hmm. And then like when I first started playing Anno 1800, I focused on making my citizens happy. Cause like this, I think this was my first foray really into forex games. And I was like, I don't understand what any of this thing means, but I want to make sure these people are happy. So I'm going to give them a lot of, Alcohol. They all want alcohol. <laughs> they all want alcohol for some reason. It's actually annoying. <laughs> this I wonder like, why. Yeah. But like I focused on that. Uh, and like that felt good. And I felt like I was um, being productive, even though like my cities were like technically 
suboptimal. Um, I felt like I was being productive towards that. And like, I didn't feel like I was colonizing a bunch of uh, people or anything like that because I was just focused on making them happy. Mm-hmm. On um, the beer. Yeah, and ma- getting them beer. <laughs> but like other games like this, like, and I think, I think Civ um, like has this, it, it does still have this issue in that like you are supposed to be, you know, taking over uh, taking over um, native people's lands and stuff. And like there's the whole, there's the whole mechanics around barbarians that I don't like that's like, uh, you know, these are these people who are here and they just start attacking you for no reason and you have to take them down because they're attacking you. Yeah. Um, where like, you know, you're in their land. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> so it's well, what's worse yeah, about it is I think Civ has definitely made strides, certainly in the way it represents other cultures. It's like, yeah, you know, th- there's work to be done, but like compared to earlier versions of the game, they, it's definitely on their minds. Like it's something that they're, mm-hmm. they're actively working on. And that is yeah. and you see it. And that is really that's laudable. But yeah. at the same time, mechanically, there are these barbarians that have no nation that are like mechanically uh, like tribal, like uh, animal like human beings in a yeah. way that and it's the mechanics ultimately there that makes that problematic. It's less about right. the fact that like, you know, uh, I mean, they do get nuclear submarines later in the game. So it's not like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not like they're, right. un- they're uh, you know, like lower uh, status or anything. It's just that they mm-hmm. are mechanically barbarians. And I right. think like it's so core to the way the game works. And as we played recently in our match with no barbarians, it actually helps a lot with the balance of the game. Like all Civ players hate barbarians, but they're very important. <laughs> and yeah, and, and I, that's just something that it it. I don't know how much they understand how that's part of that problem. Um, there were previous um, Civ games, I think, that made barbarians not barbarians, but they were animals. And I mm-hmm. mean, I guess that brings in a whole other set of problems, <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> but I mean, from my perspective, as somebody who is, uh, I have a lower disposition towards animals. That would feel better to me. Right. Um, but maybe it wouldn't feel better to other people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Had you like, Going out and killing, killing dogs? Uh, not dogs. No, no, no. They were like, um, um. No, they um, were not cute, right? <laughs> they were wolf, not cute. Wolves? No. Oh, wait, maybe they might have been wolves. Yeah. Okay. Which is the type of dog. Um, so I'm going to move on from that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, in like Alpha Centauri, for example, there are no, there, when you are land on the new planet that you're living on. Yeah. Um, there are only the things that are there are um, like they're called mind worms and they're like these parasite things. Mm-hmm. And so they kind of replace the barbarians in that game. Mm-hmm. And okay. um, you can like at one point start breeding your own um, oh. of them. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, uh-huh. Mind worm husbandry. Yes. <laughs> these like, like exactly yerks, like brain slugs. Yeah. Kind Excellent. of, yes. <laughs> yeah, and you can use them to you know, take over units and attack cities and stuff like that. Oh. That's why I like doing the um, the like Gaia nature uh, faction in Alpha Centauri because mm-hmm. you get that power to do mindworm husbandry like right away. Mm-hmm. And oh. it's very super OP. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds strong. That sounds strong. Yeah, yeah. There's, whole, there's whole swaths of the map that is just covered in like this fungus stuff and your units, like human units, have a hard time walking over it, but mindworm units, it's like roads to them. Mm. So, yeah, it's 
super cool how the how the planet and like the the terrain and the it feels like you're actually interacting with this um like alien world as opposed yeah. to mm-hmm. yeah. yeah earth 2.0 <laughs> mm-hmm. well that brings up a big part of what makes these games interesting is their the theming We've talked. Yeah. I, I it's, man, I almost wish we just recorded all of our sessions when we were playing because we were we, t- <laughs> we were talking about game design the whole time. And mm-hmm. um, like the C- Civ is interesting in the way it it blends mechanics and theming. And a game like yeah. Alpha Centauri or another sci-fi themed game, like it has a different feeling, right? Like and mm-hmm. and that that I think if you're someone who's designing a game like this, like it's more than other genres. I think they're inextricable. The, those yeah. the two halves, which makes me really excited because I'm always an advocate of tying those things together to a point that it becomes a problem for the designer to solve. And I <laughs> mm-hmm. think that that's something that definitely these games tend to have because there's not a lot of motivation if you don't have that theming in a way that's different, yeah. I think, from other game genres. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And like in that, I think you just pinpointed exactly the reason why like I bounced kind of hard off of Civ after a while. Mm-hmm. Like, was you guys, this was the first 4X game that I ever played. Um, and I was really into it at first. And then as I started getting into the mid game and I'm like, wait, I have to fight. Pe- I don't want to fight people. I just want to ride different horses and ships around and explore mm-hmm. and yeah. make friends. It's not what the game like you can do that, but it's not it wasn't like the point of the game. And I think that having to make decisions like, do I ally with this person or not? Or why is this leader mad at me when I did nothing? Um it just honestly just felt too much like the real world to me. And yeah, I yeah, didn't want yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Well, we talked when we were playing, so, like I have a really hard time engaging with the religion mechanics because I have per- no personal interest in it. And, yeah. and I also tend to lean into the tech tree because I am personally interested in it. And I think that's a strength of the game, in fact. But I, mm-hmm. I, but I think if you're trying to play competitively or trying to, I think a lot of gamers will see that as a failing uh, of the design, that, it, that you don't explore all the parts of it. But I think, well, but, but, well, I mean, I, maybe opinions vary, but like, I sure, definitely yeah. am disadvantaged as a player because yeah, that's, not, that's, not only am I not a, a key to a good uh, religion victory, but if I randomize my leader and that, that I have a benefit for that, I have a harder time adjusting my play style uh, from, and, and so that makes disadvantages me. But I think it's, I, I just, I like what I like and like, there's enough mm-hmm. in Civ to play however you want. It's, yeah. But when it's when you get into those situations where you have to engage with mechanics that you've been playing for hundreds of hours and you still don't know very well because the game lets you get away with not knowing some of this stuff for a while. And then it mm-hmm. demands you know it right now. And yeah. that can be kind of frustrating. Yeah, that's true. And I, I imagine this isn't an issue. This is not an issue. It's not just an issue with it. It's an issue with other uh, games as well. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, like, I, I mean, like, when I first started in Anno 1800, like, uh, my people were not super happy. And I was like, I don't understand. What are all these bars mean? Why aren't you happy? Did I not make enough schnapps? Like, what's going on? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so, like, yeah, and, like, as I played the game, I had a better understanding of it. But, like, when you first start out, I think all of these games, like, they're very complicated. So when you first start out, it's very difficult to uh, get get through that big bump at the beginning where like you don't even know how to do anything um mm-hmm. and like yeah and like like you were saying mark i think like civ has a unique issue where like it has a bunch of different victory conditions and so like if you focus on one victory condition and you forego all of the other uh possible avenues for other people to win then it 
can be very frustrating um, to be forced to deal with all of those different kinds of things. Yeah, um, yeah. The advantage is that when a system that's so complicated, if there's some hook in the theme, mm-hmm. um, uh, like some early thing, a unit, let's say you're go, you want to be a military commander. That's the, the thing you want to do. Well, you can yeah. start looking at the different units that you can get as you progress through the eras and you could focus on that. And then just through your own interest, you will learn those mechanics. And then because everything's tied to everything else, you'll start to learn the adjacent mechanics. And yeah. so having that strong hook is really useful. The problem is, is when you have something that you like are very much don't want to be or not interested in, um, or your your interests are incredibly narrow, and, and that mm-hmm. those those adjacent mechanics don't uh, interest you enough for you to spread your knowledge, and then it becomes a chore to learn those things. And that's really just a personal taste, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know that's a, exactly a problem you can solve in the game. It's the the problem that presents itself is what in a multiplayer scenario or uh, uh, elements that are randomized uh, in the game. Like how, yeah. what tools do you give the player who is narrowly focused um, to, to, to address those things when the game sometimes doesn't know that about the player. It sometimes just yeah. expects that you kind of know all the rules equally. You're a beginner, you're intermediate, you're advanced, but doesn't always seem to understand that you're beginning, mid, uh, intermediate, advanced in different areas. It's, there's just so, there's way so much complication, complexity in the player base, not just the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and I've heard that like Civ is being described as a sandbox game because mm-hmm. like there are so many different options and things, and like I haven't really explored all the different options you can have when you set up new games. But I think that like that, uh, those avenues can help players like tune things to make it feel more like the experience that they want out of it. Yeah. And you can turn off certain victory conditions, or you can make the game longer or shorter, or less less amount of turns or more amount of turns till the the end. Mm-hmm. Um and uh things like that. Um and that might make it feel a little bit better. Like I've I've heard that like people like role play as a certain civilization. Oh neat. Um, and like focus on that instead of like focusing on victory conditions. When yeah. I play, I'm trying to win, but like other people's <laughs> places. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um so like I don't that, that that kind of stuff could help. And I, I know that a lot of these 4X games have these different kinds of options and stuff available. Um so the, the, those can help and if that doesn't work then there's always mods <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> well maybe maybe the next um nice game jam y'all could make a simplified peaceful 4x hey <gasps> write, right it down, write it down write it down write it down yeah <laughs> could we do it in an, in an hour that's the challenge <laughs> the challenge yeah how, how, challenge. how simple I mean, we can oh. maybe we can get an X or two in there. <laughs> Explore. Yeah, <laughs> we'll get that. Yeah, we'll, we'll no, I like it. Explore in there. Well, I, I get- mean, to take the the request at face value, we've we've done the last um, uh, nice games jam that Martha you were on with us um, was we ended up with a design document. Um, we didn't have explicit mechanics laid out, and that was a very successful exercise. So this mm-hmm. is the kind of genre I think would work pretty well for that. So it's definitely mm-hmm. a good suggestion. Yeah, we could do that. That sounds fun. It's like a call to action for y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I was really thinking like, oh, this is fade out, go to the next thing. And then Martha, you just, you made it sing. It's brilliant. All right, y'all. I'm here again to talk to you about Patreon. Um, wow. It ha- sounds like somebody died <laughs> no. Yeah, you, Stephen. You want to get people excited about the Patreon? You gotta right. Okay, pep it okay, up a okay. Give me, give me a second. Give me, okay, right. I'm here to talk to y'all about Patreon. <laughs> Woo! 
I almost believe it. <laughs> well, um, we I mean, we've opened up our Patreon. We've, we've talked about it several times, I suppose, at this point. But there's some cool stuff in there. You can go to Patreon.com/slash/NiceGamesClub and sign up there. What's there right now, Steve? People to pick up. That's a good question. Um, it is. He was like, "Let me look at my notes, which I have in front of me." Uh... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, when we recorded our 200th episode, we um, uh, recorded um, additional snippets um, that Dale picked out, and they're very good. They're all—it's all very good content. It's mm-hmm. worth—it's worth listening to. And we've heard from some of our existing, our earliest patrons, uh, that it was a very useful bonus content. So that's yes. not just us saying it. We now have third-party verification. Yeah. It's good stuff. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, go get the good stuff. Join us at <laughs> patreon.com slash nice games. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Martha, okay, this guys, is where you uh, chime in. I, I know. I'm just... <laughs> I want to try. Can I try? Oh, go for it, Ellen. Go for it. Okay, so, you know, we were just asking people to join Patreon. And I'm not using this as an extra moment of plugging Patreon. But do it. But, but now, that you, now that you mention it. <laughs> no, one, one of the things that makes Patreon work as a platform is the idea of, like, scarcity and ownership. Right. Uh-huh. So like there's this exclusivity element to it. And yes. when you become a patron of uh-huh. a provider or a content creator, with like, you so far, you feel a sense of accomplishment and ownership and, yep. you know, mm-hmm. higher meaning. Okay. Okay. okay bring it home. And these are all words <laughs> associated with Yukai Chow's actionable gamification um, framework called Octalysis. Okay. Uh, yeah, that works. Having no, it's a different flavor than what we're used to, but yeah, having not read this book before, it all tracks. Those were words you said. Sure, I don't know how to do. Martha's really the judge. How'd I do? A plus. Yes, nice. I don't think I'll ever be able to repeat that performance. Just to make sure we're not setting up a bar too high for future future Ellen. I believe in you. (laughs) So Ellen, this isn't this isn't just the topic we've picked. This is the title of a book. Uh, that you have read recently and you really want to get into the to- its topic. Yeah, yeah. So um, <laughs> the the book is called Actionable, Actionable Gamification. It's by Yukai Chow, who has been working in gamification since 2003. Um, he's a designer, a speaker, and an instructor. 
and a consultant to all sorts of different companies, startups, Fortune 500s that you would recognize like Lego, eBay, some that might make you less excited. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Uber. <laughs> but you know, look, every products that you, you know, companies that create products that we're, we're, people are using every day and that are familiar to us probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am interested in this because, you know, gamification is a way of influencing behavior um, outside of the game system. Right. Uh, and so I was thinking, okay, I'll look at this and see if there's anything useful in here for like designing learning experiences or just game design in general. And I think there is some stuff in there, um, but it, I think it's just a lot of interesting stuff to talk about. So I'm hoping we can spend a little bit of time today doing that very thing. Mm-hmm. So octalysis, that's, I'm very excited. It's a very fun sounding word. <laughs> it's a fun sounding word, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. Um, well, okay. So in a nutshell, right, it, gamification is the idea of taking game mechanics, familiar game mechanics, and applying them to non-game contexts. Um, and octalysis is a framework for generating ideas for game design patterns and mechanics hmm. based on eight areas of intrinsic human motivation. Oh, okay. And, you know, eight oct the prefix yep. oct means eight. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. <laughs> and it's, yeah, so it's in a way of analyzing, like, the goals of a, um, of a product and then kind of mapping that to motivators and then using that map to think about what type of game mechanics would be useful to gamify the product. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the, like, the idea of these eight areas of intrinsic motivation is really interesting from a game design perspective but i do want to emphasize that this is a this is a framework that was created for product design Mm -hmm. and yeah that has some interesting implications i think for the way the book is written and also like questions a game designer may want to ask themselves if they're looking at using some of these principles because that it's it's Product design and game design, there's overlap, but there's they're not necessarily the same things. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. That's yeah. really interesting context. And I think that's important for people to get that disclaimer that you just provided. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. When we think of we talk about game game design or game making as an art form. Um, but oftentimes we then have to like take that art form and then turn it into a product, the way that like cinema is mm-hmm. the art of film, then also turned into a product and hooked into franchises that have toys and popcorn and all whole thing. So popcorn. yeah, I think it's important to like think about the framework in, in that wider context. So I'll take you through the quick, the quick like basics of Octalysis. Um, so there are these eight core drives and they're on the front of the book. So if you buy the book, it's like we're in, in an Intel commercial or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sorry, we'll keep going. <laughs> I'll give you my thoughts on the book itself later. Um, not all of them are positive thoughts. Um, oh, okay. But yeah, if you just Google the book, the book cover, you're going to get like, there's the thing. It's right there. Um, and the eight core drives are like epic meaning and calling, accomplishment, empowerment of creativity and feedback, uh, ownership. That's different than accomplishment. Uh, social influence, scarcity, unpredictability. And the eighth one is avoidance. So okay. there's not going to be a quiz 
Don't worry about it. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so the cheat sheet I just wrote, I didn't need that? I mean, literally, you could Google it, Mark, but right. yeah, it's open, open book. Okay. Yeah, open okay. Book. Um, <laughs> if you made the cheat sheet look cool, as, I, as you are wont to do, by all means, please share it. <laughs> That's what I should be spending my time on, yes. <laughs> That, that's a thing I should be uh, avoiding singing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> yeah. So, and then like within each of those, each of those eight areas of intrinsic motivation, um, Mr. Chow has figured out, like, has like recognized different mechanics that typically fall within those areas of motivation. So, like a progress bar as a mechanic that fits right into like accomplishment. Because it's just your sense of progress, tick, 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 tick forward. Um, like connecting things to epic meaning is like, how does this make a difference in the real world? Um, you know, empowerment, creativity of feedback, like any th- game that has a sandbox element to it where you're like mm. creating things and seeing how it shape, like shakes out. Um, that's going to be heavily, like heavily reliant on that, uh, that area of motivation. So I did think it was really interesting to, uh, to start this episode with the question of why Stephen loves Civ Six so much, <laughs> because this the idea behind this Actalysis framework is being able to answer that question within these eight points. Oh, okay. Yeah. So as we were talking about it earlier, um, I did like quickly think, okay, how would I describe what Stephen is just like what Stephen and Martha and Mark are talking about here in terms of mechanics? within Octalysis. And some of the things that came to mind were like, um, well, epic meaning, right? Like specifically in Civ, you're playing with human history. Like yeah. it just doesn't really get more epic. Like, you know, yeah. and you're dealing with these, these famous leaders um, that have already left a huge impact and stories have been, you know, are continuing to be told thousands of years after they died. So there's a lot of epic meaning in there. Um there's a sense of accomplishment, like you've got a timeline, you've got checkpoints along that timeline. There are specific technological and spiritual and social innovations that you can literally just check off your list. Uh, empowerment, like you you try a strategy and you see if it works, you know, like it's it's all about seeing how your strategy is brought to life and making those changes and actually taking action and seeing what bounces back. Yeah. Um, and then I also think there's like ownership. You know, this is your thing. Also, people are trying to people, the AI or other players are trying to take it from you, um, <laughs> which I think strengthens that maybe a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and then there's the social aspect of it. Like if you're, you know, you talked about like cooperating with other players, Stephen, and that's totally a thing. Um, although like social influence as one one aspect of Octalysis doesn't have to mean um, cooperation. It could also mean have a competition involved. Mm-hmm. Um, there's Avoidance, you don't want to lose. There's scarcity in that, like, there's only so much area on the map. And unpredictability in that, like, I don't know, sometimes people are just going to show up and attack you. Mm-hmm. Or always yeah. in the case yeah. of yeah. barbarians. Yeah. <laughs> That's literally, literally one, of the, one of the things that civs can say, like, when they'd say they'd denounce you or whatever, and they just, they just plain don't like you. And it's <laughs> yeah, literally make it happen, so... <laughs> They, they don't like your stuff. I don't like you. Yeah. He yeah. doesn't like you either. <laughs> you better watch yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I've had other civs tell me that. 
<laughs> you're a bad leader and your people are weak. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. Thanks, I guess. Wanna well, take this outside? Right. Any more to say on that? Like All right, Montezuma, you're off my Christmas card list. So anyway, like the answer to your very first question, Stephen, why does this game catch me so much? The answer that Octalysis would give, I believe, is because it has depth in every single one of those eight areas. Yeah. Yeah, it totally does. That's that makes a lot of sense. And all that stuff you were saying, I was like, yeah, I like I do -hmm. like that. I like that thing, too. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that tracks. Yeah, that's a lot. That's cool. The one so, that caught me the most was the epic meaning, because mm. when you were you, the disclaimer you gave about how this being related to product design and, and the, the, the description you gave was is meaning in the real world or to you mm-hmm. actually as a person. And I was like, oh, OK, so traditional games probably have a harder time reaching that threshold. But then when you described how Civ does it, I was like, oh, that's the, when we were talking about the theming in the game. It, it, yeah. it bridges that divide and why some games aren't able to do it. Because their mm-hmm. theming is not strong enough and isn't related enough to the actual play. So right. this is, these are good topics to put together. It's all coming together. Yeah, it was. I, we did it. <laughs> planning, guys. Go team. High five through the screen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, there's, uh, also, there's a tons of stuff. Like The book is, frankly, in my opinion, longer than it needs to be. But it approaches 500 pages. That's Just a like lot Civilization. <laughs> <laughs> yes well i was just ah mark that's awesome because i was just about to talk about that <laughs> um some of the things that the book goes into uh is like different ways of using octalysis and one of the ways that yukai chow talks about using octalysis is to uh analyze different stages or phases of the of uh, Sorry, I almost said learners by force of habit. <laughs> the player's experience or the user's experience. And there's like discovery, you learn about the thing. There's like onboarding, you're starting to use the thing or play with the thing. And then there's like, I can't remember the name that he uses for it, but it's like, I think he uses scaffolding, but we talked about mid-game. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Yeah. if you look at that actalysis list of things in motivators that um, we just listed for Civ, they all kind of shrink during the mid game mm. because there's less unknowns. There are fewer yeah. unknowns. And so that means it reduces your feeling of accomplishment. It reduces your feeling of empowerment. It reduces your feeling of ownership because you don't feel like your actions matter. And the thing is just like a computer sim now. Yeah. Um, yeah. It reduces unpredictability. You know what's happening at that point. Yeah. Yeah. So that was interesting. Um, it's an interesting thing huh. in terms of this discussion, but also like a useful way of using the tool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. That, that makes me think of the interrelation between these different motivations because one and unpredictability um, is an interesting one because there's a, a, a battle between like making things sort of like uh, to catch you off guard, to give you some excitement, but also they can't be so unpredictable that not, that your actions don't matter anymore, that you don't have an impact on the world that you can't master and you can't claim ownership. So they have. So how does the how does the book deal with the fact that some of these motivations might be at odds? Um, hmm. Or does it sort of sidestep the issue and kind of treat these things as individual uh, uh, topics and categories? Yeah, I don't really remember there being a huge discussion of um, of how different parts of the framework or different points on the octalysis diagram i guess would Mm -hmm. pull against each other except for the um 
he does like slice and dice the octagon in a few different ways. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, so I don't really know if there's like a point by point divergence and tension, but there is tension between like the left and the right half. Ah, mm. um, so there's a reason it's then, not just a list that it has a, vis- yeah. a visual representation. Okay. There is a reason that it's not just a list. There's like tension between elements on the left and the right. Um, and there's tension between elements on the top and the bottom. And in fact, like the top and the bottom um, dichotomy, he actually refers to as white hat and black hat. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, like the black hat core drives are really useful during onboarding to get people hooked, like unpredictability, for instance. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. Um, and scarcity, like act now. You only have 12 hours before you get this thing. It goes mm-hmm. away forever. Yeah. Welcome to Cyber Monday. We sell this crap. Um. But there's only 300 of it, so you're going to buy it because you think it's going to run out. (laughs) Oh, that's my Kirby statue. That's literally my Kirby statue. Well, it also explains why there's PS5s going for $1,500 on eBay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, Anyway, so with the Black Hat core drives, they work for getting people like in-depth really quickly, but they also make people feel uncomfortable. So Mm -hmm. they're not great to use in like your scaffolding or mid-game phase. He talks about that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think there is tension. I just don't know if it's like point by point. You know, I don't think it's like accomplishment is opposite of unpredictability. Oh, sure. Well, that does. It seems like a good way to do is to categorize the motivations and and, yeah, to put them on the half of of the wheel or whatever. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Because you can come up with examples why every one interrelates with every other. But then the book would be even longer. and, And maybe that's not necessary to get that in depth because... The conceptually, it makes sense enough. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's like the fun thing. And also one of the traps about any, I think, design framework is mm-hmm. you can really get into it and you can just like keep on applying it to new examples and keep coming up with a new. And it feels like this new insight. But the whole point of it is to use it as a tool yeah. to do the thing that you want to do. Yeah. So like do the case studies you need to to get comfortable with the framework. But ultimately, like unless you want to be an academic and study that framework specifically, like use it to build a thing. <laughs> right, right. It reminds me a lot of that those quizzes we took at one point that had all our Yeah, it the gamer motivation eight. profile. It was yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. I wonder how they overlap different. He has a chapter mm-hmm. in the book about that. Oh <laughs> really? There we go. Hey. <laughs> um yeah, there was a one of the I think one of the most interesting chapters was one where he compares like how Octalysis fits with a bunch of other um, behavioral design frameworks and game design frameworks, including like Bartle's uh, player types, um, the four keys to fun, that kind of stuff. So it's you can buy if you buy the book, you can just skip to that chapter and you'll be good. <laughs> <laughs> um, hold that thought. So, yeah, like I said, it was uh, it's about product design. Right. So mm-hmm. I do want to give you like an example just coming from the book. Um, of what that means. So the last couple of chapters, last couple of chapters of the book, um, Yukai Chow talks about like how he would apply this to a couple of different products. And one of them being like his website, um, just to make it something accessible for an example. Yeah. Uh, and he says that when he starts a gamification campaign, the first thing he starts with is defining the business metrics that need to be applied. Right. Starts with business metrics because mm-hmm. this is product design. Right. Um, defining the users who are going to be the players, um, the desired actions, meaning the things that you want to motivate people to do. 
um, the feedback mechanics that will trigger people to do the things you want them to do, and the incentives that will just kind of be like this ongoing hum of motivation to drive people through that action loop. So, and this is really interesting because this is like very close to instructional design process. Mm -hmm. You start mm -hmm. with like, what do you need the organization to achieve? Yeah. And what people are going to be doing the things that you need them to do. Yeah. You know, how you measure that, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I don't, it doesn't feel right to me as the process that you do if you were designing like an indie game. I mean, mm -hmm. I guess like, I don't know, like you want it to be a viable product, but it doesn't feel good mm -hmm. to me to start with business metrics. I don't yeah. know, in a game design context. Sure. Well, I mean, there's I, there's metrics. I mean, you could, it, it might, I think it's very, I think there's a trap indie developers have, which is like, there's the find the fun, right? And that's that mm -hmm. one might be ultimately the goal. But I think a lot of times it's like, you don't have any goal as you make mm -hmm. it. And I think yeah. that uh, this may not be the correct framework and it might not be uh, geared entirely, but I think, a little bit of this thinking could go a long way, yeah. uh, even for the indie designer who's even who's purely there to make an, an artistic statement. Um, mm -hmm. I think it can. It seems to me that it could still be helpful, um, even if it doesn't, you know, fit exactly. Yeah, I, I was going to say. I think that 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 framework probably would be very beneficial for the way I like design things because I I try to lean. I, I have a goal in mind and I try to lean towards that. And I think it would be helpful to think of it in terms of how we get to that and how we measure how successful we are in that mm -hmm. um, in, 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 in a game design um, standpoint. I think it I think it has some merit to it. I, 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 I if you take it straight to business side, then it's like um, then it's a little weird. But like, I, I, I think there's something there for that. Yeah, I think it could be translated to work for. I guess any design exercise, right? You do want to start with what your goal is. Yeah. What do you want yeah. to achieve? Mm -hmm. You know, this might be a really uh, Ellen. You you were talking about how like this is a framework. It's not uh, you, you. You're cautioning uh, listeners against um, uh, picking a book and treating it like an ideology because there's different things to learn from different things. And you've talked about that before on the mm -hmm. show. I, I think this might be a good one for for game developers who are not interested in products because it's obvious that it's not everything for them, right? Like yeah. there might be an easy way to learn that lesson is to pick something that's not doesn't quite uh, purport to be everything you need. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, that's that's really like I plan to play around with it for sure. It, mm -hmm. I think it's a good it's got the book has some great ideas for design. I think it's got a, a really useful framework. I think it outlines a process that's helpful. Mm -hmm. um, I do have some things I don't like about the book. <laughs> yeah. Let's hear it. Um, spe specifically the book. Um, first of all, the cover, like I got the paperback. I don't know if there's a hard copy version, but the material they used on the cover, this is going to sound so petty and so <laughs> nitpicky, but I'm the one holding it in my hand and I'm telling you it is disgusting to hold in my hand. Oh, <laughs> it's like weirdly sticky and like, I don't, it's not usually oh. what you think of as like a glossy paperback cover. So no. It's like they use you. I don't Does like it have it. kind of like a mossy texture? Almost, because I've yeah. I've held paperbacks like that that use a particular kind of thing, and it always feels a little bit weird. I mean, at some point when we're able to like come within close yeah. contact with each other again, I'll let you hold the book. This is a challenge <laughs> to your your ability to communicate with verbally only, right? <laughs> it's I'm trying to. It's like okay, it's like you've ever picked up like a pen mm -hmm. or pencil. I have from, like, once from, or twice, yes. 
that, a pencil that. Oh, okay, yes. okay, okay. <laughs> was in the junk drawer unused for like three years. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh I know exactly what you're no. talking about. Is that what that book feels like? <laughs> it, there's like a, it feels a little filmy. Oh. Okay, okay. Okay, well, yeah, well. I'll, yeah. I'll read the online version then. <laughs> Don't have to well, hold the book. And. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> it's not the end of your yeah. criticism. Yeah. <laughs> It's not the end of my criticism. Okay. Um, first of all, yeah, I think my biggest, biggest criticism is what the heck is with this cover <laughs> material? It's weird and I don't like it. Um, mm-hmm. I do think that, uh, I think that the author probably needed to invest in a better editor. Uh-huh. Um, like there's more in here than really needs to be. There's the writing style I think can get a little bit, uh, I don't know. It doesn't, it just, it like, it somewhat presents itself as almost like an academic text or like, a, you know, like a useful design companion, but then like sure. years off into personal things that don't really seem to belong in that mm-hmm. kind of book. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it hasn't picked a tone. Yeah. He's just kind of all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's just a lot of errors, like punctuation errors, spelling errors. Oh, that oh no. Be in there. Yeah. That's bad. <laughs> it's really bad. So I would say, um, yeah. And like, I don't know, reviews that I've read, echo that like there's useful stuff in here but wow this was tough to read Mm -hmm. um i agree with that so i would say maybe check out his website and look at some blog posts and videos i would wait to see what the next edition of this book looks like (laughs) before purchasing it yeah that is yeah (laughs) maybe a hardcover (laughs) please But um, but there's some valuable stuff in there. You're saying, right? Yeah, there's some valuable. Uh, there's some definitely. There's some valuable stuff in here. So I think, you know, I don't know. You can always buy it, and not read the whole thing. That's allowed. Yeah, no one's checking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there is also one like wider question I have, and this I think comes back to the idea that back to the fact that this is a product design framework, not a game design framework. Even though I think there's stuff we can use for game design, and. I think because it's product design, it starts with this assumption and it never goes unquestioned, at least in this book. And that is more engagement is better. Uh, mm -hmm. And I don't agree with that as a premise. Uh, Again, maybe it's true from a product design, but I like that feels icky to me even as a product design, because I think like there's there's an ethical responsibility you have as a as a human being to design for the well-being of other humans. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And more engagement with a product is not always better <laughs> for humans. Right. Yes. So as as yeah. I can attest to, um uh like <laughs> seven till six in the morning, sometimes it's a problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean it's a really useful point of discussion in in the world of games. It, it comes to the, like live service games or games where like it's the one it's someone's main game they play most of the time. But yep. but uh but but the criticism applies definitely to the subject matter the book is targeted at, which is, and you see that all the time in apps that you have that want you to engage more than is necessary. Like you're, this is a great product. I love everything about it, except it bugs me a lot. And, yeah. and so it like, it, it sort of, it's, um, it steps further than its mandate. And it seems like mm-hmm. there's probably not enough, uh, thinking and, uh, practical knowledge on, on, uh, to use a business term, right sizing your engagement goals. Right. Mm. Um, like you don't want your bus scheduler app to also have a social network, you know, right? Or or, or, yeah. or or have lots of gamification elements that that keep you logged in every day 
if you're not taking the bus every day, you know? Yeah. Um, right. But, but sure enough, someone will design something, something like that and use these, these kinds of um, uh, frameworks to, because it's not questioned to go in that direction. And that's definitely why we see that in this space. I have an example of the kind of like backfiring engagement mechanic that we were just talking about. So um, I try to not buy lots of new, new clothing. So I use an app called or a, a marketplace called ThreadUp. Mm. And it's like an online like consignment store. You can buy like used clothing of all sorts of different price ranges and everything you look for. And you can search your sizes and it's really, really great. So, yeah. And it's also like a good way to waste time and put myself to sleep um, sometimes. And I have the app on my phone and then I'll uninstall the app and I'll put the app back on my phone and I'll uninstall the app because I'll put it back on my phone because I want to like, I just want to go through and see what's there and put stuff on my list that I want to buy anything right now. I just want to, you know, busy my brain while it cycles down. Yeah. Um, and then also like getting notifications at like random times during the day. Hey, this thing is almost on sale or whatever. And it just gives me all these notifications that I don't want. And there's no way for me to turn them off except for uninstalling the app. Right. So I have this like, on again, off again relationship with this stupid app because I can't <laughs> control the experience the way that I need to control because someone decided somewhere along the line that more engagement with the app is going to be better. Yeah. <laughs> like, and it, they probably decided that based on all their metrics and like more people shop when they have those up there. Like, is that even better for those people? I don't know. Yeah. Like, I can't imagine it always is. So I just have I have an issue across the board with the assumption that more engagement with a product is always better for the human. Right. It's sometimes not even good for the product or the money side of it because like sometimes people get these ideas in their head that it has to be this way because the metric says it's that way, but it doesn't actually bring in any more money. And I can't. There was some example I was reading recently of something like that. Now I can't remember, of course, but yeah, it's not always even good for what they think it's good for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because engagement will be seen as its own reward. Oh, yeah. that's what it was. It was about ad buys. That's what I was reading about. Mm -hmm. You reminded me. So it was Google, Google AdWords or whatever, where you can pick a word and like your ad will show up at the top when people search that. It was yeah. some big company was buying their own name as an ad word. And someone, eBay. It was eBay. Yes. Okay. And... And they were they bought the word eBay, and then the marketing person was like, um, "Can we just not buy the word eBay? Because if people search eBay, eBay is going to be the first result anyway. So now we're just paying for." <laughs> and people were like, "No, no, but there's all this engagement on the ad." <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> but they, yeah, they stopped doing it, and they still got the same amount of money. So yeah, I do tend to when I search for a thing. And just by name and the first result is the thing but the thing above it is an ad and it goes to the same place i kind of always click the ad just to punish them like <laughs> 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 it's like i was going there anyway but fine spend three cents for this click <laughs> okay <Yeah. laughs> consider that advertisers yeah it's the it's, marks of the world it's needlessly <laughs> cruel ultimately but <laughs> because they're learning the wrong lesson from it that's the thing <laughs> yeah <laughs> right uh, <laughs> That is funny. Uh, is that a good endpoint, or do you have a another wrap up in mind? I really hate that the last phrase I said in that segment was "that was funny," but let's let it stand. All right. <laughs> okay. We 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 can't take up any more time from people because we don't want them to be too engaged with Nice Games Club content. Ah. <laughs> <laughs>
Wow. <laughs> Thank uh, you, Martha. Bonus yes. transition. I love it. <laughs> hey, that is our show. Check out our newly revamped website, nicegames.club, for show notes and links to resources on today's topics. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the episode and on our programming in general. Go to nicegames.club slash feedback and tell us what you think. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter at NiceGamesClub, where Dale tweets about game dev resources and cat cafes in a bakery. You can also email us, contact at nicegames.club. Want to support the show? There are so many ways. Give us a review in your favorite podcast app, tell your friends about your favorite episodes, and now we're on Patreon. As a patron of the show, you'll enjoy bonus content, extra jokes, and more. Sign up at patreon.com slash nicegamesclub. So until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. Nice. And I don't want to veer too far from ooh, dog interference. Could uh, you hear my so- cat sounds earlier? Like, sounds like he agrees. No, we, we, I didn't hear your cat earlier. Okay, good. He was yowling through the door and I was like, oh no. <laughs> is he done? Here's, this is excellent post-roll content. Yep. yep. It's yes. just dog barking. Yep. That's what this is. Got more to say. Someone probably walked by our house. Uh. <laughs> One second, please. <laughs> this, those are some excellent insights in the actual gamification. Yeah. Uh, say thank you. <laughs> oh, Ellen muted herself. We don't get to hear the conversation they're having. Uh. <laughs> oh, well. Uh. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.